you can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Good evening, you're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 18. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four spine-chilling tales for you, all of them from author M.M. Kelly, about ominous encounters, ancient entities, aquatic atrocities, and inhuman horrors. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail, so lock your doors Turn your lights down low and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight from author M.M. M. Kelly 
introduces a man who's about to learn far more about the nature of reality than he ever expected, under circumstances guaranteed to ensure he'll never look at a leisurely walk in the park the same way again. Without further ado, I present to you a dinner date. Zaleski State Forest is a short jog from my place of business. I've been known to skip eating and use my lunch break to take short treks through the forest in every season. It's been at least a weekly occurrence since I began the position five years ago. It's incredibly freeing to be able to wander nature, uh, experience plants and animals. After this week, I will no longer be taking strolls through the park. There's something old out there, something old and hungry. I decided to wander off the trails. If I were to get lost, I could use the GPS on my phone to get back. Most of the landmarks near where I park were committed to memory. That particular Friday, I must have gone further into the wooded acres than I had ever explored. I felt that I had my bearings. I was sure I was nearing the visitor center when the smell of steak rolled across the wood. I followed the smell like a hound. I didn't think about campsites. I assumed picnic area. Following the smell simply dragged me deeper into the forest. Brambles couldn't slow me down. Neither could fallen trees or creek beds. The fact that I hadn't seen a path in heaven knows how long didn't jump out at me until the recurring dreams afterward. But the aroma kept getting stronger as did my curiosity. All I could focus on was finding the source of the smell. Checking my GPS never occurred to me. My brain didn't second-guess the sun beginning to disappear into the horizon. It was after dark when the smell was so strong that I may as well have had a fresh steak in front of me. I saw the dim dance of flame ahead of me among the tree trunks. The smell of supper was entrancing as if I'd been wandering the woods for months. The closer I came, the denser the saplings became, as if trying to bar my path. The source of the dancing lights were two candlesticks placed on a large oak table. Two sky-blue diamonds of ceramic sat at opposite ends of the table with enormous picture-perfect steaks, the creamiest-looking mashed potatoes, and slightly charred asparagus. The table was atop a perfectly flat Persian rug, like it was doctored into a picture of the woods. Situated between the two candles, a handful of red roses jutted from a slim black vase. No one was near, so I began to approach the table. The rug felt firm under my feet, like a platform was hidden underneath. A quick peek under one corner of the rug revealed only dirt and still living plants. I tried to wiggle one of the chairs to see if it was affixed to the ground, but to no avail. A photo shoot, I assume, just from the impeccable attention to detail, that its absentee creator had apparently put into it. Up close, the steak looked fresh off the grill. A gentle touch told me it was piping hot. Have a seat, sir. A voice called from behind me, tinged with aristocracy of time past. Uh, hey, I just kind of stumbled onto your beautiful set while on a hike. 
I explained as I turned around. A figure stood near the edge of the rug where no one had been previously. It donned a neatly tailored tuxedo with a white linen draped over the left arm, but its physique was, in stark contrast, broken and shabby. It started to lumber towards me, its awkward gait led by uneven shoulders and trailed by feet that didn't seem to leave the rug. It abruptly turned and pulled one of the chairs from the table with no effort and bowed. While resting one hand on the backrest, my mysterious host waved me toward the seat. Come, come, dear, you are a guest here. No, 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 oh no, I stammered, waving my hands and slowly backing up shyly. I just stumbled upon your set while wandering the woods, and... Sir, God does not play with dice, it said with certainty. I really am grateful, I assured it, but I really do need to find my car. Pish posh, we will have none of that. Only the most honored guests may be invited to this table. It looked me in the eye for the first time. One as blue as the ocean, the other the golden amber of a frosty beer. A crooked nose sat slightly off-center above a gnarled pair of lips and a jaw that seemed too square to be natural. No, really, I, I need to be going. I started before its lip began to twitch and nose scrunched. I'm very sorry. Do you run this often? I would love to come back and visit when I have more time. The toothy grin the butler flashed turned my stomach. The teeth weren't too long or too sharp like a fairy tale monster, nor were they discolored. They were perfectly white, but were in all the wrong places. Molars in the front, canines randomly dispersed among them, incisors haphazardly sprinkled among them, too. I told myself to stay calm. I tried to control my expression. Its face contorted in bewilderment as it twisted its head sideways and stared. I spun on my heel, made a mad dash for the woods, and refused to look back. I took the step up to the tree line in a bound, but my hope was dashed. The saplings were packed together too tightly for a person to squeeze through. I searched along the tree line for the place that I'd slipped through. I checked over my shoulder every few steps. The butler stood lopsided and proud near the table, his linen arm held out in front of him. "'Dear sir!' it called out, its accent giving way to that of a southern gentleman. "'I understand the manner can be fascinating, but won't you please join as our esteemed guest before the master returns?' The words fit together but fell flat. They lacked feeling, urgency, or weight of any kind a voice that only existed between organic and mechanical, but distinctly neither. I tuned it out and tried to pry some of the thin trunks apart, but the gaps were too small to even fit my fingers into. When I checked to see if he was still in his place, it was closer. Everything was closer. The grassy area around the rug was essentially not, and the tightly packed trees pressed together with such force that a smooth surface formed. The butler dragged its off-kilter form around the walls, carefully lighting candles perched on branches that had not vanished during the formation of the walls. Please, dearie. It begged, its voice somewhat feminine, 
and decidedly Eastern European now. The master will be so happy if you were in your seat before his arrival. Who's the master? I demanded, caving for my stance of not giving it attention. Why, they are your host for the evening's festivities. At the time, it felt like avoidance, as if the butler were simply biding its time for an accomplice to arrive. The smell of cooked meat faded as it mixed with the growing smell of decaying leaf litter and burning unscented candles. The sound of obvious, deliberately slow steps seeped into the closed room. The sound of bare feet on tile, following the cadence of a ceremonial march, approached from both around, above, and below. I started to notice patterns forming in the striations of bark that had become walls. They resembled portraits, the things contained in them, covered in furs, occasionally sporting jagged white horns. While many of them were clearly monstrosities, others bordered between man and beast. The walls groaned and creaked like an old oak, unable to stand strong against the storm winds. Butler shambled with urgency, tidying the table, straightening the candles that cast the shadows away. It murmured about the master the entire time, the already picturesque scene becoming perfect. I snatched it away from the table by its collar, fed up with the deception and avoidance. I jerked it close enough that I could feel its irregular breaths. The pace and shallowness took my focus for a moment before I barked in its face. What the fuck is that? It seemed flustered. A little red came to the slightly asymmetrical face of the butler. The master? It asked with a sheepishness that one would answer a child with. They do like to make an entrance. Your part of this elaborate display is to be seated when they make their entrance. They? I asked, my mind suddenly ripe with possibilities. How many are coming to dinner? Just the one, sir, the butler assured me. While they enjoyed the language and imagery that the title master signifies, they are without gender. They simply are. Just tell me who the fuck it is, I snapped in the butler's face. It started to reply, but before its tongue could form a sound, a musty wind rushed through the walls. I dropped its collar, and it backed a few steps away from me with a deep, relieving breath. The gust refused to relent. The expected howl of the wind through the trees, rolling into a bone-rattling shriek. It's nice that you've finally made it, Jack. A smoky voice rattled through the shrieking gust. The presence of a third threw me off. I frantically looked around. A thick mahogany door creaked open from the wall furthest from me, and a tall, spindly figure stepped through the threshold. It bent and stepped like a person slipping between slats and a fence, a burgundy velvet robe swishing with its movements. The butler bowed in perfect form, a beaming smile showing off its misplaced teeth. The master has arrived, dear sir. It whispered, nodding for me to bow as well. A long, pale face jutted from the collar of its swaying robe. I swept downward in a polite bow. 
and the master reached out with open arms in response. Two white, emaciated arms slid from the wide sleeves of the robes. Black horns jutted from its forehead and curved back behind it like styled hair. It gestured upward with its sickly palms and gray pointed nails slicing the air. Rise, please. The voice creaked with a hint of a laugh buried in its rattle, the gust dying out with his words. It took a seat at the table, what was once a plainly carved chair, was now an ornate and enormous throne. Black, snake-like eyes observed me from high above the table. It nodded reassuringly to me, a sweeping flick of the wrist directing me to the empty seat opposite it. I was telling your friend here that I actually need to be going, but I would be happy to come back. I know what you told them. The master interrupted with an almost maternal tone. You must understand, we've been waiting for you for a very long time. The butler, hanging on its words, nodded profusely in agreement. The door it had entered through was still ajar. My wife is expecting me, though. I lied through my teeth, edging towards the door but away from the table. You have no attachments outside of these wood. It rattled louder than before. You only smell of self and nature. I acted like I was going to respond, but I ran. I ran so hard the floor shook. The faster I went, the more the room seemed to stretch, the door always just a little farther away. It was creaking closed slowly. I pushed myself, my legs screamed with fatigue, as though I'd run the length of an entire park a thousand times. I threw myself at the narrowing gap in the door. My shirt was ripped, and a long scrape went across my chest, but I made it through. Must you be so dramatic, Jack? Its voice rattled through the candlelit hallway I found myself in, distinctly lacking any form of amusement or enthusiasm. More of the same portraits lined the walls, separated by more mounted candles. A burgundy rug ran down the hall and into the darkness. I tried for my phone for light, but had to take a candle from the wall instead. I cautiously proceeded down the hall, checking around me constantly for new developments. The paintings started getting more depth, like they were more akin to windows. Sometimes they were replaced in a pattern with door frames filled with the wood paneling and bone-white wallpaper. The further down the hall I went, the less formal the portraits became. Their clothing started becoming more modern, poses sometimes silly, sometimes frantic, instead of the classic shoulders back facing the artist, portrait pose. The rug suddenly crunched with each step. I leaned down with the candle. The wooden floor had run out, and the rug continued to run over leaves and twigs of the forest. The candles and paintings were no longer a part of the landscape, just rugs and walls. A waning flicker of hope reignited deep inside of me. I reassured myself that this had to mean I was near an exit. I walked faster, the gap between the rug and the walls narrowed. The rug narrowed with the walls. Eventually, I had to shimmy sideways, holding the candle out in front of me. Even with everything sucked in, 
the hallway became a tight squeeze, almost to the point where I could no longer squirm through. A narrow door blocked my path. I dropped the candle to the dirt and ever so gently landed my fingers on the doorknob. A flick of my wrist was all it took to spin the doorknob and for it to glide open. The heterochromatic eyes of the butler beamed at me, a thrilled smile filled with molars and misplaced canines. I was hoping you didn't get lost, sir. It's tailored suit now more akin to the dress of a French maid. It leaned down toward the narrow door and reached a white-gloved hand through the narrow doorframe to grab my hand. I tried to jerk away. I tried to avoid capture. The walls held my arm in place, and the gloved hand snatched my wrist. The butler pulled with all its might, forcing a foot up against the door for leverage. White frills under its dress obscured my vision while being pulled into a space entirely too small for my body. My skin burned as it was forced through, though, the joints in my arms slipping and bones sliding instead of my flesh in a cacophony of snaps and cracks as they caught on the edges of the doorframe, too thick to make it through linked together. The pain, the disbelief, it silenced any calls for the rescue I desperately wanted. I was shoulder-deep back into the dining room where the master waited. I slapped around blindly trying to find something to hold on to, something to anchor to, something that might keep me from those things. I found it, a little piece of door jam. There was barely enough to grab, but my fingers dug into the wood, and I pulled with all my might against the butler's gloved hand. I groaned, pulling harder as the shoulder the butler had was stretched to its limit. Dear, the butler grunted politely, let's get you free so you may continue with the evening's festivities. I don't want to be part of your festivities. I growled as I managed to pull myself mere millimeters away from my captors. The invitation was accepted, the butler said, perturbed yet gently reminding. So you are, in fact, obligated to be here, at least by social convention. Fuck the... My words were interrupted by my face slamming into the narrow frame that surrounded the sliver of a door. I could feel the butler digging both hands into my arm. I shrieked like a scream queen, but the butler didn't relent. It pulled harder with all of its might, the narrow wood grinding against my bones. I screamed and sobbed, the top part of my head popped through the doorway like a chicken dropping an egg. I screamed more when the searing pain of my jaw catching on the doorframe started. I don't know why you didn't use the main door. It grunted as it forced me through. I wish I could have blacked out, but I felt both sides of my mandible separate from my skull. I felt the skin and muscle stretch and snap back into place as I was drugged back into the elegant prison. I felt every rib, every vertebra slip and move to get my chest through. The butler grunted and growled as it pulled me through. My hip cracked and slid around to make room. Then the butler flew. It fell right on its ass, and I sloped onto the ground, a fleshy mass of 
jutting bone inside of skin. I had splinters and a chunk of the door jam still in my clenched fist. The master's red robe obstructed most of my vision as it loomed over me, its bony face, tilted to the side curiously. Butler, please bring me a seat so I may sit and speak to our honored guest. Right away, uh, the butler said as it scrambled to its feet and drugged the heavy throne within a few feet of my head. The master sank into the seat with a disappointed sigh. You know us, Jack. We've never left you unattended here. I've never fucking seen you before. I tried to snap, but after my grand entrance, it was a visceral gurgle. They flicked their bony hand at me, the empty black bulb of eyes burning with frustration. Butler, they shouted, please assemble Jack again. Tears poured from my eyes, and searing pain covered my face as the butler grabbed my jaw and stretched it down toward my chest before jamming it back in place. It jammed its gloved fingers into my flesh between my ankled ribs, pushing them back into place and realigning the discs in my back in the process. My arms and legs received a similar pull and jam. Everything burned and throbbed, but to my surprise I could sit up. I could and did sob after throwing up. You're fine. This isn't like other places, the master said with impatience fueled by disappointment. I stood up on shaky legs and raised my fists to guard my face. Two things burrowed into my mind. Survive and escape. Have a seat, boy. I held my ground silently with a subtle wobble of my sore body. They rose from the seat and let the robe fall into the seat. I brought my guard in tighter. Their pale skin was blemished with gray and light brown spots, their bony process jutting out against the fragile-looking ancient skin. I just want to go, old man. I am no man, boy, it said, its thin lips cutting into a smile. But you know that, don't you, Jack? I don't know you. I said as I swung with everything I could muster. It happened so slowly. I watched their hand rise, extend their pointed finger, and gently touch it to my fist. My fist stopped. It wasn't like hitting a wall or a pillow and stopping. Its touch sucked the potency from my punch. I could feel my skin shrinking against the muscle and bone. The rage I felt was unimaginable. How dare they? I gritted my teeth and swung up with my left. Again, it calmly lifted its hand, and this time limply laid it on my mid-flight fist. You've never felt this rage before, have you? It asked with an air of genuine curiosity. I struggled to move my arms, but the tight skin made it nigh impossible. The master removed its hands from mine, and small mushrooms sprouted between my knuckles. Why are you so opposed to conversion, Jack? You've been here, commuting with nature for years. Why not have direct words with us now? Let me go! We see you, Jack. We see you constantly coming to us. You find comfort in the isolation. Why are you rushing back? 
to what you hate. I wanted to demand to be released. I wanted a third swing. But his words cut deep. Deep enough to flush the rage from my mind like a balloon losing its air. There was something familiar about its eyes. What are you? I stammered. The immense being paused as if unsure how to answer. It dragged its spindly claws across its features, the curved horns, the wood like appendages. It even caressed one of those snake-like eyes with the tip of a talon-like finger. The silence was nerve-wracking, but the frustrated noise it made before addressing me was harrowing. Too long to be a sigh, yet angry and emotional like a scream. But those words give it the humanity that was all too absent. Do you remember the autumn breeze? It was nothing more than our breath on your neck. The songs of the birds, simply the sound of our eyelids as we watched. When you waded through the streams, you danced upon our tongue and flirted with our maw. Like a god? I asked. They scoffed and tilted their gaunt face quizzically. You won't find any of those here, boy. They corrected. We may seem to be gods to mortals, like an insect may see your destructive feet as those of a vengeful god. Though our lifetimes will be eternal from your perspective, our kind eventually will wither. How many of you are there? I asked, trying to move my lignified limbs. We are many, yet we are one. I started to stutter a barrage of questions, but was hushed. We always welcome new blood into the covenant. I could feel the warmth and color drain from my face. What is this meeting for? It's for you, Jack, it said, tossing the claw-like hand into the air as if it should have been obvious. Not unlike those job interviews you come here to worry about. A test. A test to see if you have what it takes to have your feral portrait proudly hung in this sacred place. Those were all people, I asked, my mind flipping through the dozens of portraits I saw down the long hall. The majority, yes, it replied, standing up and turning its back to me, softness and feeling returning to my hands. Sometimes other creatures are worthy of ascending into our ranks. On more rare occasions, beings with higher standing, then we may regress and find themselves within our ranks. I couldn't decide what to question first. Implications, fear, rubbing my hands as the mushrooms flaked off onto the rug. Do I have a choice? I asked, clinging to a modicum of hope. Choice? I asked turning with a sweeping motion of their robe. You have choices to make, but the outcome will be determined by your soul and our discretion. The master scraped a sharp nail from my forehead and down my chin. The thin cut swelled with a modest bit of blood. They stroked the sides of their spider-like fingers against my cheek, as if comforting a child. Disgust filled my stomach and rage burned my veins. I don't want to join you. I barked with enough force for my throat to burn. Only fate will determine that, boy, they said with a fond chuckle. 
a little laugh that felt like a window into their situation, and maybe that it mirrored mine. The room filled the dark with a heavy smoke, sweet with the scent of tobacco. The master turned a regal purple robe, fanning with a turn like a dancer's dress. They proceeded in a strict cadence to the door. They entered through. Whoa, wait, get back here, I yelled, leaping towards him. What am I supposed to do? It outstretched its pale, nearly muscleless arm, wagging its claws through the air. The pale face peeked over its shoulder at me. I told you, it said, followed by that fond chortle. You have choices. The walls tumbled outward. The ceiling hung in midair, seemingly unsupported. The woods were dark, the same white smoke that had been leaking into the dining room stretched as far as my eyes could see. There was something else immediately wrong. Black orbs hung high in the air, unobstructed by the smoke. More of them? My awe of the landscape was smacked away from me with the sound that bones make popping into place. The master stretched and twisted its back and shoulders before turning to me, excitement burning in his inhuman eyes. Run, they said calmly. It didn't take the time to process or respond. My body chose flight. I scrambled over the fallen wall, trying to head for an area where I didn't see his eyes. Or fight, really. You have choices. I could hear their voice, sullied by a hint of excitement, coming from every direction. Their words didn't hinder my stride. I kept my eyes straight ahead to avoid trees. A white knife-fingered hand slashed at me from above. I slid, but narrowly avoided it. I looked up. It clung to a tree branch with its legs. Its face rotated to be right side up when viewing me. It wasn't the master. Its horns were arranged in a row like a mohawk. A black tongue licked around the lipless opening of its mouth. I scraped and jerked to get back up to my feet. I ran toward the sliver of moon that I could see through the canopy on rare hopeful occasions. After weaving through some trees, I found myself in a straightaway, so I ran as hard as I could. My hope was the clearing meant closer to parking and lodges. The trail ahead seemed to be lighter outside of where the smoke let me see. Light was not what lied in front of me. They stood shoulder to shoulder waiting for me. Their slender bodies towered above me. Ribs poked from under the skin like tree roots too close to the surface. The one in the middle's belly was distended, swollen like a hungry ghost. Their eyes smiled down at me deviously, sickly happy noises rolling from their mouths. I started to try to kick one of their knees out when a sharp pain in my shoulder froze my motions. I tried to turn and see what was behind me, but the noise stopped my head from turning. A noise like a wheeze and a laugh were fighting with a death rattle. My shirt felt hot and wet, and when I looked down, obsidian talons jutted from between my shoulder and collarbone. Blood dripped to the dirt and dead leaves. My chest tightened in a panic. I huffed to try to get more air. The periphery of my vision dulled, like a cloudy fluid was overtaking my eyes. My limbs, too heavy to fight, 
the world went black. I woke up to the sun shining through the windshield of my car and the clang of my car telling me the keys were in the ignition. I was dry. There was no blood on my shirt. The shirt was ragged, but there was no wound of a talon-like hand being thrust through my person. I laid my head on the steering wheel and wheezed. It was too real to be a dream, yet too absurd to be real. Could I consider the tattered shirt to be evidence? What about the missing stab wound? I turned the key. She cranked and started right up. The clock on the radio read 1.15, which is around the time I usually arrive if I leave from my lunch break. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed A Dinner Date, as written by M.M. Kelly and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first story, please show the author your support by visiting his Linktree profile today, where you'll find ways to connect with him via social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, and more. You'll also be able to support him directly through Patreon if you'd like to give something back to this talented gentleman. To visit his profile, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash kelly. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, and you'll be redirected to Linktree. Thanks for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. It means a lot to both of us. Up next, we've got a second tale of terror for you, courtesy once again of M.M. Kelly. In this tale, we'll once again explore the paths less traveled, and this time our journey will take us into the wetlands of Ohio, which may just be more terrifying than you could ever imagine. Trust me. Without further ado, I present to you the Serpent of the Black Swamp. I have an obsession with a woman. 
She's a wild child, as unpredictable and dangerous as a boar, as potent as a viper. She's the kind of women kids and drunks made legends about, the kind that'll promise curses to those who trespass against her. Hell, I heard the stories when I was a kid, too. The legend says that in the Great Black Swamp near Lake Erie, there's a woman who speaks with the frogs. The mallards bend to her will. Her clothes are worn and tattered, the old white lace beige and sometimes black from muck. They say the old mud there keeps her young beyond her years, that her shriveled and hunched appearance still belies the eons she's been present. I met her over a decade ago. I was surveying the bird population for an internship with the Park Service. She danced through the reeds completely unencumbered. Tangled and matted blonde hair framed her dirty cheeks. The stories were wrong. She was the very picture of youth. She had no regards for me or the snakes. Hey! I shouted for her attention. She bounded and danced away, throwing her limbs and body freely to a song I was oblivious to. I trudged after her. Something about her was enticing. Maybe it was her stoic determination to her dance. Maybe I was enticed by her form and appearance. Maybe I wanted to ask her about the local wildlife. Whatever it was, I drug myself through knee-deep mud to try to catch up to her. I must have worked through miles of swampland, only to find her resting on a small dry island, surrounded by a stream that dumped into the area. Sprawled on her back, feet in the air, and talking to a small frog that was perched on her pointer finger. Rhythmic vibrations rolled fluently from her person, and the little frog bobbed its head along, occasionally chirping back to her. I wondered if she was stable as I slowly approached her, my waders squishing with water and mud. I found myself absolutely enamored. She wasn't perfect or particularly beautiful, with a maroon birthmark that stretched across the right side of her face, her somewhat crooked nose, or her ever-so-awkwardly spaced teeth. Her amphibian companion seemed to move his head to look to me as I neared closer. "'Who might you be?' she asked without looking at me. She transferred the frog to her other hand that was gloved with lace and rose to her feet. The strange woman had the eyes of a mustang. I stuttered. I couldn't find my name anywhere in my mind. The call of the frog seemed to be coming from every direction. They were everywhere, clinging to reeds on the ground around us, in the water with their little eyes peeking out. They just want to know who's trespassing. She said with a hint of a twang, The, the frogs? I managed to gather and regurgitate. Well, the snakes, too, she shrugged. When someone comes into your home, you'd like to at least know their name. Sure enough, snakes were woven throughout the frogs, which were also peppered with various species of birds, just staring at me. Some of them cocked their heads, paying no mind to the congregating dragonflies. The woman looked perturbed. That's enough, she groaned. If you keep staring at him, he'll never talk. Shoo! 
The critters disappeared like schoolchildren after a playground fight, reluctant and disappointed. They understand you? I asked, squinting. I'm not the mysterious stranger here, she reminded me. For me, you are. This is federal land where I, I work here. You first. She smiled, a gray and black snake, coiling her arm from under her clothes. I'm Dean. I relented in my game. Rory, she said, inspecting the snake's face. The snake flicked its tongue at her face and shook its rattle in short bursts. What exactly are you doing out here, Dean? Population size surveys, checking general animal health, so we can watch out for diseases or invasive species. She bobbed her head along in acknowledgement of my explanation. And what do you do if you find invasive species? She asked, tilting her head to the side ever so slightly. Well, it depends. Some species cohabitate well with their native fauna, but some do not. The ones that do not are removed, if we can. Removal can be extremely labor-intensive, as well as very expensive to not actually solve the problem. What about invasive people, she asked, focusing on the snake with such intensity that I wondered which of us she was speaking to. I'd leave that to the feds, I joked. She grunted and looked over at me. Bogs like these eat men, you know. She asked, her gaze lazily surveying the landscape. Peat bogs can, but this is more of a fen, I explained. My land is layer upon layer floating in the water. I'm surprised it let you this far, she said without hesitation. It swallowed many. I've studied this area. It's not a blanket bog. Child. She groaned, sweeping a snake-wrapped arm in front of her. This is my ancestral homeland, passed down from an ancient ancestor. There isn't a soul who knows it better. I began to correct her again, but she shot her hand up with an outstretched pointer finger. No, my family was granted domain here. She snapped curtly, the mark over her eye burning bright red. Rory snapped her arm out sharply to her side, and her fingers shot out straight with the horizon. She snatched her hand back to her chest and howled a single syllable. It was meaningless to my mind, but it resonated throughout the swamp, and it resonated in my bones. The stench came first, moldy, musty, death. I smelled it dozens of times coming across old animal carcasses. Rory kept emitting the syllable like an opera singer. The soggy ground shifted in what I thought were snakes pushing up through the gurgling moss. Then they curled back like they were going to burrow back into the earth. More of the apparent snakes pulled up out of the ground than a larger hunk of meat that connected them. Hands. There were hands coming from the peat. I don't know what surprised me more. The fact that I was standing in a peat bog in Ohio or the fact that hands were sprouting out of it. The hands didn't stay hands, though. They reached and pulled, black arms following, then the crown of a head. The smooth forehead gave way to a twisted expression 
that had persisted from the moment of his demise. The terrified twist of his lips and shock in his eyes, forever frozen in ancient human leather. I stumbled and stuttered. Three of them had risen immediately around us. I tried to run. Who wouldn't? The land below me was suddenly very soupy, and I found myself unable to make any meaningful distance. They stared at Rory like the constant noise was a conversation. They didn't sink. They didn't fidget. They simply stood and watched her. She fell silent and strutted through the musty men. Go! Go and do not return! The snake uncoiled from her arm and struck at my face. I woke up back at my rusted-out S-10. No signs of snake bites. My clothes were completely dry. And I didn't mention the incident to my supervisor. She wasn't going to believe me, and I had at least a few more weeks' worth of work left at the site. I was back the following Monday and dreaded my arrival the whole way, but I needed the money and only got a small portion of the area covered the previous day. I convinced myself on the drive to the Black Swamp that I must have hallucinated. Too much sun, not enough water, and maybe some swamp gas. Even through the terror, I couldn't get her out of my head. Was she real? It felt like a real memory. Something inside of me needed to know. As soon as I got there, I checked. No peat bog, just regular old Ohio wetland. I chalked it up to dehydration delirium and went on with my work. None of it looked even remotely familiar. The vegetation was different. The insects, the color of the water. I brushed my health concerns aside and kept cataloging. I saw something moving in the water, so I took a step forward to investigate. As I sloshed forward, I could have sworn I heard the rattle of a rattlesnake. I searched the immediate area, but came up empty-handed. I jerked around as the rattle sounded behind me. Nothing. Then, in the distance, I saw something I hadn't seen before. A large black tree. I had to investigate. It was my job to catalog as much of the flora and fauna as I could. What I found was not a tree. Up close, it was a writhing mass of branches and snakes. After rising approximately 15 feet, a hollow bulb sat. I told you to stay away. Rory's voice warned from inside of the bulb. Her head appeared from the top of a previously hidden opening. She climbed out along the walls on all fours like a gecko. I started running back toward my car. She swam alongside me in a canal. My heart tried to stop, but I, I didn't let it. She was twisting and thrashing, swimming with her arms pressed to her side and feet together, moving through the water like a snake. Our eyes met. I knew in that moment of staring into soulless reptilize what a gazelle feels like before a lioness pounces and latches on. She smiled at me with an inhuman grin. It was wide. The teeth were hooks that turned toward her throat. I was generous, she hissed. I tried to let you go. I was running too hard to respond. If I could make it to the truck, I'd have a chance. Then I noticed it. Rory's twisted mass of snakes and vegetation 
loomed in front of me. My brain stopped working. My legs did, too. I simply stopped. The shadow that replaced the warm sun shook me from the stupor. I twisted to look behind me. She was looming over me, mouth opened wide enough to accommodate my shoulders. She struck downwards at me. I stumbled forward and then flew forward from the strike to my back. While I was scrambling on all fours, trying to get back to my feet, she rose back up covered in scales and was absolutely enormous. I put space behind me, but she swept her arm in front of her, and the ground under me gave way to more water. I surfaced, and her scaly form plunged through the peat and into the water. Before I could even try to lift out of the dark waters, my entire body was bound tightly by cold reptilian scales. I worked and worked, trying to slip something free. I exhaled. She squeezed tighter. I sucked in as much air as I could as she jerked me under. The thick vegetation seemed to cover us. The only thing I could manage to do was to dig my fingers under her soft belly scales and start ripping them off. I bit into her and ripped them off with my teeth, too. She shrieked as much as she could in the water and released just enough for me to get my hands free and clawed one of her eyes. The peat was thick, but I managed to tear and wiggle through it while trying not to inhale too much water. She burst through the blankets of vegetation and water, still abnormally large but much more human. The mark across her face burned a hateful hue. Blood leaked from the crater where her eye had been. Into my collection, she shrieked, plunging a clawed, half-scaled hand into the peat. The rotted shells of men burst from the swamp. I ran for it through the slop, through the sharp aches that filled me. They tried to grab me. They tried to pull me under. I slipped out of their slimy, algae-covered hands. I ran away from that spire, away from whatever that thing was. Away from her collection. Snakes, men, turtles, everything that she had in the swamp she threw at me. I dodged, slipped, and ran my way through all of them. Eventually, though, my legs gave out. Between the struggle of fighting her off and running in this soup, I simply could not go on any further, and I braced myself. Nothing came. I rolled over. The leathery men were standing in a line like a wall, mere feet from me. They scowled and snarled, but did not encroach. Rory approached from the rear, holding her eye. She was silent, but the eye she had left burned with every word her throat couldn't muster, as it burned with rage. I grabbed my primitive camera phone from my pocket hoping to get a picture or a call for help. It was waterlogged. I eventually found a small house to call for a ride from. I was on the opposite side of the county from where I had parked my truck. I was reassigned. I told them I had a violent allergic reaction to something in the swamp, but the allergen panel didn't tell me what it was. I noted that it may be related to a toxin of some kind in the swamp itself. I hope they don't send a replacement. I wouldn't go back, 
and I didn't want anyone else to run into her either. Even if I wanted to return this eyeball to her, to make it stop watching me from the little antique jar I'd been keeping it in, returning to the swamp would never be in the cards for me. And that isn't to say that Rory did not stick in my mind. I became obsessed with what she was. As the Internet became more and more prominent, I dug my heels in researching cryptids and fanciful monsters, witches and demons. I never found much that seemed to actually apply to that wondrous prancing monstrosity, though. I stayed in the general area, moving for work. I listened to a police scanner at night as I read, and tried to pry stories out of people about the area outline. Leads were usually dry, other than a few people, who remembered the stories schoolchildren told, the ones I parroted as a child. After what seemed like eons of searching, I came across a very concerning call on my police scanner, originating out of Cleveland. The damsel in distress, the responding officers found, had the same voice and seemed to match her description, though without the age that had surely followed me over the years since our last encounter. I had to know, so I contacted one of the responding officers. Though uneasy and recovering, he recounted his story. Car three, over there? Over. Dispatch, ask over the radio. Car three here, over, I responded. My rookie, Darren, was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready for action. Head over to 117 Apple Lane. That's new subdivision off the freeway. We've got an anonymous tip about some commotion. Could be domestic. Could be just some spoiled rich kids. Over. Roger that. We're en route. Over. When we pulled up, the porch light was on, and the large window that looked over the lawn was lit up behind the curtain. It was identical to every other house in the cul-de-sac. All right, kid, I told my rookie. It could be ugly, but you got to keep it together. Be professional, not angry. I'll be fine, Jasper, he reassured me. I saw a lot of documentation in the academy. I shook my head, and we walked up the narrow, cracked sidewalk to the small porch. We rang the doorbell and waited. Darren jabbed the button impatiently. I firmly grabbed his shoulder. You gotta be patient. People move slow, especially at night. We waited for a few minutes with no apparent stirring. Darren gave the door a few firm knocks. Nothing. He knocked again, this time calling out, DPD, we're here about a disturbance. I grumbled and grabbed the doorknob. The door wasn't locked. Police, we're entering the building, I called out, both as a warning and as a courtesy. The smell took Darren aback. It was strong and exacerbated by the hot and humid air that had been held back by the door. The walls were lined with plastic tubs stacked and labeled with things like Emerald Tree, Mojave, King, and Anthaxic. Mesh crates filled with vegetation and the source of the smell in the back, tubs and tubs of rats. And they're hoarding snakes, Darren asked. I guess that explains all the rats. I inspected one of the mesh cages. Emerald tree was written on a piece of tape at the bottom. 
I leaned in close, trying to see what was inside, through the thick vegetation. I nearly shit myself when a bright green snake struck the screen hard enough to also hit me. Let's get this settled and get the fuck out of here, D. The house itself was pretty quiet, for all of the life it was brimming with. The rats scratched around, and once we heard the telltale rattle of the rattlesnake, the door to the basement was open, and there was a light out of view of the staircase. Is someone there? A frail voice with a southern twang called from the basement. Dispatch, car three here. This is dispatch. Did you find the house? We found the house, but the only answer we're getting is from the basement. We're going to enter the basement. I kind of have a bad feeling about what we're going to find. Nothing good comes out of basements. I turned the radio off before they could reply. Something told me we needed to be quiet. I motioned for Darren to stay put and started to creep down the stairs. My hand on my holstered weapon. Hundreds, maybe thousands of snakeskins hung from the beams above. I could see more boxes of snakes through them. I heard the steps creak. The soft voice called out again. Could you kindly come give me a hand? I had a spat with my boyfriend, and I found myself in quite a predicament. Darren came down the stairs in a flurry of footsteps. The chance to be the hero fresh in his mind. He rushed across the cement floor, through the curtains of discarded skin. He found her like he'd navigated that means of a room a thousand times. He knelt down with her, a hand on her shoulder. I followed through the trail of swinging paper-like tubes. She was lying on the floor, a mess of tubs, aquariums and shelves laid across her lower half. "'What's your name, ma'am?' Darren asked calmly. "'Lucy.' She wheezed from behind a thicket of blonde hair. I quietly radioed for EMTs to assess her. "'Lucy, what happened down here?' "'We were fighting about how he was treating my baby. He shoved me into this shelf, and it all came down on me.' "'Where's your baby now? Did he take it?' I interrupted. "'She should be upstairs, the first door on the left.' I started to turn to go up the stairs when Darren shot past me. "'I'll go check it out. I'm faster,' he said as he took the stairs three at a time. "'Did he leave that scrape on your face?' I asked. "'Oh, dear,' she said with as much of a laugh as she could, without coughing up a lung. "'That's just my birthmark. If my hair wasn't in the way, it would take most of the right side of my face.' I knelt down near Lucy to keep her company. I didn't notice any blood, but procedure was to wait for the paramedics in these situations and not lift objects off of someone until medical professionals were present. I could hear Darren's footsteps crossing the living room above us. They shouldn't be too long, miss, I reassured her. Why is it so warm and humid in here? It's for all the scale babies, she said, motioning around us. Most of them are tropical and need high humidity and heat levels to be healthy. Does your daughter like reptiles? Oh, she loves them, she said with an awkward smile that was just a little too flat. 
Are you feeling all right? I asked. It looks like the color is draining right out of you. Oh, your eyes must be adjusting. I'm as pale as the moon. She said, her reply punctuated with coughs. Her left eye started to get hazy, like it was covered in an oily blue. I turned slightly and hit my radio. Car three here, can you get an ETA on the crew? She's not looking good down here. The basement was so quiet I could hear the button on my radio click. When I released it, I heard a quiet rip and the sound of someone peeling sunburn. My instinct screamed that she was being crushed, so I whipped around and found her mouth frozen in an impossibly wide scream. The flesh tore at the corners of her lips as a scaly white dome crowned. I grabbed and drew my sidearm as I was raising it to aim at her. A series of thuds and yells came from upstairs, the final one sounding like a large man landing at the bottom of a flight of stairs. The voice of the woman called out in a tongue older than any temple. Something large and white rushed up the stairs, mostly obstructed by the clatter in the basement. I grabbed my radio. Car three, I panted. Need backup, everything. My gun was hard to find, but fortunately it didn't go far. I started to creep up the stairs. Bang! A shot rang out. Bang! Another, followed by even more. I started running, taking the stairs as many as my legs would stretch. Darren let out what I can only describe as a battle cry into a cramped house. Upon clearing the doorframe, I saw what he'd been shooting at. It was the resident of the house. Tall, white with black markings racing down her long, scale-covered back. She was hunched over for the ceiling, a smaller version facing down Darren just feet away from her. I shot right in the center of her back where I guessed her head would be. The bullet vanished into her. No hole, no blood. She noticed, though. She twisted and slithered rapidly to face me. The skin on the sides of her head expanded out into a cobra's hood. Crooked, jagged brown horns jutted from her head, the arms and curves of a woman still present on the abomination. She screeched at me loud enough to shake the windows in the frames. She curled back, then lunged at me, her mouth tearing open and revealing curved, needle-like teeth. Her back jaw split down the middle, opening her mouth wide enough to fit my shoulders in. I fired two shots right down her gullet. She grazed my arm but missed her mark. I ran for Darren. The little one had the same ripped jaw as the big one and little nubs for horns. I shot it right in the eyes and jerked Darren up to his feet. Go! I screamed from the bottom of my gut. Back at the squad car, we locked the doors and Darren got on the radio. We need backup, he sobbed into the radio. We need it now. What car? Is there an officer down? Dispatch asked, trying to hold back their panic. Car three, we went in and there's some fucking giant snake bitch or... or. Darren's side of the car was smashed into. It wasn't hard enough to flip it, but it pushed our car from the curb to the middle of the street. The street lights and lawns vanished as the windows were covered by a massive body. The metal body of our car crunched and strained against her coiled body. The windows cracked and buckled under the pressure. 
teeth erupted through the roof, and her two-piece jaw slammed half through both of the windows on the driver's side. She tore the roof from the car like the lid on a can of Spam. Talon snatched us both by the throat and flung us like rag dolls back into the yard. The baby was on Darren before I could do anything. Her unholy maw had already taken in his head, curved teeth dug into his torso. Sirens echoed across the neighborhood from a distance. The thing shook its head and wagged a digit at me disapprovingly. There was a sick joy in the one eye that peered at me from her face. Darren was still fighting, punching and trying to get the thing off of him. She lunged again, the needle-like teeth scraped my side and took my pepper spray from my hip. The can erupted in her mouth, throwing a hateful cloud of irritant about the yard as she slung her body trying to dislodge it. In the confusion, I darted for Darren. I grabbed the pepper spray from his holster and sprayed it into the little one's mouth. It released him and I drug him back to the smashed squad car. The sirens were getting louder as cars neared the cul-de-sac. Lucy snatched up the smaller creature and barreled through the front door of her house. I stayed with Darren. He was still breathing, although non-responsive. The paramedics took him and I followed back into Lucy's den. The upstairs and ground floor were clear, but no one wanted to check the basement. I went first. I wanted blood. When my flashlight hit the floor, it was writhing. She'd released all the snakes and somehow brought them all to the basement in mere minutes. A muddled mass of noodle-like creatures completely covered the floor, almost to the top of the first step. We called in animal control, but something was off. I still couldn't see her anywhere. Was she hiding in the snakes? It took an entire day for them to clear the snakes. They found the skin of a blonde-haired woman trapped under fallen debris, as I had reported, though it was dry as if pulled off smoothly and naturally, rather than cut off. In the far corner, they found a hole about a foot and a half wide. Lucy was nowhere to be found. The pieces started falling into place as I listened to Officer Robin's tale. Shedding a human skin, the V birthmark on the right side of her face, the missing eye. I knew somehow from miles away that eye was staring right at me through structures and nature. He had found Rory. I guess it's wild, Officer Robin said in a little bit of shame. They say the house had a gas leak and we were going crazy in the yard from it. I believe you, I said with a nod. I'm the one who took her right eye. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed The Serpent of the Black Swamp by author M.M. Kelly, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author has a Linktree profile set up where you can connect with them via all of their social media pages or support them via Patreon with all the resources on one helpful page. To check out more of Mr. Kelly's work today, go to simplyscarypodcast.com slash kelly. Again, that's simplyscarypodcast.com slash kelly, spelled K-E-L-L-E-Y, and you'll find yourself on Linktree. From there, click the link to your favorite social media platform and subscribe or follow him today to keep up with his latest releases. Oh, and don't forget to leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis sent you. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Before we go, I'd like to also take a moment to thank you for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It'll make a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs, or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get the access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube... You can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have a chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well, at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Jiry. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep if you can. <laughs>
selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. 
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.